0: Among the many challenges of the COVID 19 pandemic for junior doctors is how to respond to medical training impacts and career uncertainty. So, welcome to this MDA National podcast conversation between psychiatry registrar and Melbourneian Dr. Benjamin Verness and Dr. Caroline Elton, a UK based psychologist who specializes in helping doctors. Dr. Vanessa and Dr. Elton discuss advice for how to cope with delays, disruptions, and unknowns in medical training and career progression. This conversation was recorded in June 2020. So without further ado, it's over to Dr Vanessa.
1: The COVID-19 pandemic has been in full swing for almost six months. In the UK, there have been hundreds of thousands of cases and sadly, many tens of thousands of deaths. Australia, relatively speaking, has done better with just over 7,000 cases and slightly more than 100 deaths. The emotions that are felt by junior doctors during this period um, can vary wildly. I remember myself at the start of the pandemic being extremely anxious, more so than I can really ever remember being worried about what might happen in Australia, whether we would suffer the same fate as our colleagues overseas. And then worrying about the fate of family members, particularly parents who are in those high risk age categories, then thinking about impacts on training and other personal plans for the year. the pandemic has progressed, it's been reassuring to see that Australia has done relatively better, but uh, then of course there are fears about things like a second wave of the pandemic. And so it's really been quite difficult, I think, uh, to to get used to really a very unusual situation. For that reason, I'm really glad that we have an opportunity today to speak with Dr. Caroline Elton coming across live from the United Kingdom. Uh, Dr. Elton, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing some of your experience helping doctors in training through periods of significant change and uncertainty in their lives.
2: Thanks, Ben. Yes, it certainly has been an extraordinary time uh, for doctors uh, in the UK and and all over the world. And as you mentioned in your introduction, tragically, the situation in the UK, we've seen much greater uh, loss of all members of the public. And critically for this conversation, we've seen a significant mortality of doctors, nurses, and those working in social care. In fact, in the UK, I think we've lost more health and care workers than you've lost for the entire population in Australia. And all this, of course, has had um, an impact on on how doctors are feeling about their work. And particularly for those who are still in training, what we've seen is that the, uh, the scaffolding which surrounds training, the predictable structure of when you'll progress to the next grade, when your exams will be, a lot of that has, has been put on hold and that can cause quite considerable distress for the um, doctors in training.
1: Yeah, indeed. I mean, it can be very containing to have clear boundaries and structure, uh, which is really what medical education and training is set up to give us. And um, particularly, I think that suits the personality traits that are common among doctors. You know, many of us have thrived in highly structured environments where the rules are quite clear, where a certain reward follows a certain effort. Um, that's really what we've come to get quite used to. And it seems as though at the moment, uh, a lot of that's been thrown into disarray as people's exam plans have changed, perhaps rotations have been put on pause, job prospects for next year are more uncertain.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree. And certainly the doctors who I've been talking to recently have have reiterated that. But without being stupidly upbeat, um, I think that the uh, importance for your medical career And not as gloomy as they might feel at some
1: moments for for doctors. Uh, I'm rather glad to hear that. And I I wonder, actually, if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit more about your perspective on that.
2: Sure. Um, And perhaps I should add a caveat to say that this kind of upbeat message I'm, I'm giving here, I wouldn't be framing it like this if I was talking to a group of pilots. If I was talking to a group of pilots in the current pandemic, I think one would be talking to a group of professionals where they, you know, some of them may not, maybe even quite a significant minority may not be able to fulfill their uh, career dreams of working as a pilot. If we've learned anything from the last six months, we've learned that all over the world we need doctors. So that's the starting point. But the second point really is a a bit different. Um, And that's, although the reason for the kind of current, maybe some roadblocks, maybe uncertainty in your career, the reason is unique. It's a a global pandemic. As a psychologist working with doctors, I've seen uh, doctors who faced roadblocks in their career, not due to pandemics in the past, but just due to all sorts of other reasons. Um, I've seen doctors who Have an illness that has impacted on their career so as an example i can think of a pathologist i worked with last year who developed a very rare visual impairment that meant she could no longer look down microscopes so she had to really think that what she was going to be doing with her career Mm -hmm. i can also think of 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 doctors a learning disability psychiatrist for example who starts a family and then it turns out that one of their children has a severe learning disability now i've seen some doctors in that situation where it's actually augmented their choice of specialty and given them a sort of personal passion and I've seen others who think this is what I'm contending with at home I don't want to contend with it at work as well it's just too much and they shift slightly and I just I mean there are all sorts of other reasons but the third one I would mention really is that in the UK Workforce planning, specialty planning uh, is not always as fantastic as it should be. And sometimes they're bottlenecks so that too many doctors are trained at an earlier level of of specialty training. And then there are not enough openings later on. And again, people have to shift. So uh, doctors uh, encountering roadblocks, that's not new.
1: Yes, indeed, and that last point particularly is pertinent in Australia, and because we have bottlenecks often getting onto some specialty training programs, as well as then at the end of specialty training, what does one do afterwards? Thankfully, here there's a larger private sector which compensates to yeah. some degree compared to yeah. the UK. But I guess what I'm taking away from what you've just said is that, despite that highly structured nature of medical training and career trajectories, um, it's actually not that uncommon for doctors to encounter obstacles in their career path yeah. and have to overcome yeah. those.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, doctors are logical folk. And so by extension, if uh, this is just uh, another sort of roadblock and those roadblocks in general have been covered before,
1: it should be fine. Well, that's quite um, motivating and reassuring to hear. Um, are there any practical tips that you'd like to share with us, Dr. Elton?
2: When there's a time of, of, of change and a bit of turmoil in a system, rumours and and just general misinformation can be rife. Somebody is somebody from somebody else and then it all gets spread around the cafeteria at lunchtime or, or whatever. We, we had a period in the UK uh, when the training system modernizing medical careers was shifted and and often trainees would come to talk to me and actually the information they'd heard from somebody was just incorrect. So although uh, uh, I think there's an issue about just trying to concentrate on getting good quality information and using the training structures, the training committee, whatever, I think there's something very important about not allowing yourself to get too alarmed or freaked out by by stuff that you're hearing rumors in the hospital which may or may not be correct
1: i think uh, some of us here have struggled with vague or non-committal information out of uh, medical colleges Uh, some ideas that might help are putting outstanding questions in writing and sending those directly obviously to our training organizations and to the trainee representative committees that they each have as well yeah do you have any other comments about sort of dealing with that type of uncertainty? Because that I think is one of the things that can be really quite challenging. It's almost worse sort of not knowing what's going to happen rather than knowing even that something you know, that you're not really that happy with is going to happen.
2: I think, I mean, I think interestingly, the challenges of dealing with that are the sorts of challenges uh, that doctors face all the time because clinical science is an uncertainty. And so I suppose if somebody's feeling uh, uncertain about their careers, They've got to do what they can do, which is try to find information from the best quality sources that that are out there. And beyond that, just try to say, well, they've done everything they can do and actually nobody else out there knows more than they do. Uh, so it's a sort of general dealing with uncertainty skills that, that doctors have to use in their clinical practice all the all the time.
1: I think that's right. And I think also one thing that's very important for all of us to do at all times, but particularly if we're dealing with heightened levels of anxiety and stress, is to make sure that we each have our own GP and that we proactively find opportunities okay. and schedule a review appointment with them, even you know, if there's not you know, a, a really pressing issue because it's important to have that relationship already for those times okay. when you need it. And Absolutely. there'll be a on the screen for more information about where to find doctor's health services in your state or territory.
2: Yeah, no, that's absolutely essential that that doctors have their own GP. And that leads on to a kind of another point, which I think is really important for doctors at this stage, uh, in the light of the pandemic, is that it's expected that the overwhelming majority of doctors, even if uh, they have become distressed in the light of what's happened with the pandemic, will recover quickly. But there's a small percentage that might actually need professional uh, psychological or psychiatric input and another point that applies really to them is that and this is something I say to the doctors I see very very regularly avoid trying to make a major career decision from the basis of um, a kind of lack of emotional well-being try to put it on hold and then When you're feeling more robust, that's the time for really making a major career decision. And over the course of my career, I've certainly worked with doctors when they were quite unwell, uh, maybe very depressed, very anxious, whatever, and who were absolutely sure that it was the end of their medical career, or they would never work as a radiologist or whatever again. And they have done So you may need to make an interim career decision, but never make a huge career decision if you know that you're not in your normal state
1: of mind. Yes, I'd certainly agree with that. I think now might be a time to provide some food for thought about what one might like to do, a time to reappraise perhaps previous plans, but perhaps not the time to affect those plans. Telehealth, for example, it's been very interesting to see how widely that's been accepted. And I expect that will provide various enduring changes uh, and different opportunities for how we practice medicine. I guess what I'm wondering is, given your bulk of experience treating doctors, what have you seen in terms of how doctors learn about themselves or make career decisions and, and changes in direction, but then go on to thrive or, or not? What can you sort of tell us about how commonly it goes well?
2: If doctors are given an opportunity to step back and to um, think about themselves and to then think about the options. Uh, and crucially, in a context where it doesn't have a bearing on their on their training, I think it's very difficult for for any doctor, whatever their stage, whether they're in training or whether they're a consultant or a GP, whatever, to really open up about how they're feeling with somebody who has responsibility for their training or their career progression. Um, It's difficult for them to say they're not enjoying their work or they find it overwhelming or or whatever to somebody who who might then be able to respond in a way that could, could limit their career progression. Whereas if you have an opportunity to come to somebody outside the system and actually talk about how they're feeling and and in my case, somebody who's had the experience of helping people navigate through career pathways, really in a few sessions, they can reflect on who they are and the aspects of themselves they want to bring to work. And they can also reflect on how they respond to different elements of work. And and I would totally agree with you, as you say, that the, the pandemic is going to give, have given all doctors an opportunity to find more about themselves and about different options and some of those options are going to have changed.
1: Dr Elson these were really sort of helpful points and interesting to think about, thank you. In particular it stands out to me the examples you gave about how people had faced some type of adversity in their training or in their work as a consultant and then had to adapt and make a shift but that they had been able to work through that and that things had worked out okay, they'd still found a a different path for them in medicine, which is quite a hopeful point and actually um, quite nice to think that there are actually many different ways that each of us might be able to find a fulfilling career in medicine. There's not just one specialty or pathway for each of us.
2: then I I call this the myth of specialty monogamy, that for um, each person there's only one specialty and if it doesn't work out in that specialty, then then it's that or it's stacking shelves in the supermarket. Whereas I think that the psychological literature, and there is some evidence base to this, and there's also, from my own experience as a psychologist, I've I've seen for each doctor, there's a a, a cluster of special tips that they could have uh, enjoyed And and often, you know, these clusters annoy. Some of the people who go into psychiatry, for example, like like you, they may also have considered um, general practice. They may also have considered, uh, let's say, peds or neurology or, or whatever. So there's a cluster of specialties that people can enjoy. And then there's some that they may enjoy. A bit less, right the way through to some that they would never want to do in a month of Sundays. And there's the case as well that how you practice each specialty, whether it's in whether you're having a private practice or more like an, a national health service type environment, whether you get involved in research or in teaching or service development or whatever, there, there's so much variety. So, so, yes, I think one can be optimistic.
1: Mm. And then subspecialties within each of those as well, okay. so even the clinical work can vary greatly.
2: So I, I, I think that even if, although at the time it can feel absolutely devastating if you meet a roadblock or if you decide you're not in the right bit of, of practising medicine, typically there are, are a lot of different options available.
1: Mm. I wonder if you have anything to say about um, the idea of people remaining sort of unduly anchored to a particular decision as well. I think uh, we often perhaps overvalue the amount of time we've spent already trying to get into a specialty or investing in that at times and perhaps a more logical way of looking at that is as a sunk cost where yes you've spent that time but it shouldn't then necessarily keep you sort of wedded to something that perhaps you're realising isn't quite for you maybe there's still some value to be had yeah. from the experience that you've had in that specialty that you can take somewhere else.
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely right. I think that the argument, because you've, you've gone so far, that you have to uh, continue, I think one needs to interrogate that.
1: Another point that I've taken away from this is the value of having someone outside of your day-to-day work to perhaps talk these things through with. And for different people, you know, that might be their partner or friends, or maybe it's a professional, but you yeah, make a very... Alien point about the difficulty and perhaps being completely honest about how you're feeling at a given point in time with someone who's either assessing you at the moment, might do so in the future, or perhaps might be needed as a, a reference or perhaps even be a colleague. Yeah.
2: yeah, and I think following on from that, in terms of having somebody external, it can be useful, but there's also the point that what one wants to do, and this, relate, this relates to your idea of the sunk cost, is that one wants to take the, long, the longer view, because in the work that I do, and this should be familiar to all doctors, you take a history. It's fundamental to your practice, and it's fundamental to my practice in the sense that if somebody comes to me, I'm not only interested, of course I am interested in how they're feeling currently, I'm also interested to take a longer educational and career view, and if it's never been right then one needs to really hold that up to somebody and say, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that, yes, you've put a huge amount of time and effort to this, but actually that there's been no point or only minimal points along the way where this has felt to be the right decision. What's going to change? Or do you need to make a more substantial change?
1: Do you have any comments, Dr. Elson, about the value of taking some time off? from one's training as well. It's difficult in a pandemic because in an acute scenario where there's a high level of demand on the hospital and general healthcare system, one might feel as though they're shirking their duty. But you know, one of the advantages of our position in Australia at the moment is that we haven't gotten to the point where hospitals have been overwhelmed and so there isn't same type of ethical dilemma, I think, to face there. And so there might be opportunities for people to take a term, half a year, a year off their training. I'm curious as to your thoughts about the utility of doing that.
2: Yes, I think it can be really valuable. I see a lot of um, doctors who do this, but there's a bit of a kind of caveat to that in the sense that you can't just take that break and expect that one day the light bulb is going to go off and you'll know what you're going to want to do. I think you need to use that break if you're if you are if you're having that break because you're not sure then I think that you need to engage in some discussion with different people and really think it through not just hope that you step back and and six months later you're going to know there's there's there may be some psychological work in the interim that needs to be done.
1: And I think I've been quite lucky perhaps but uh, also it might reflect some proactivity and when I've approached people and asked them whether I might be able to spend some time observing them clinically, they've usually been very receptive. Yeah, I've had some fascinating experiences. For instance, going out to a women's prison with a forensic psychiatrist and observing the work that she does, and I feel that type of um, experience can be often really quite crucial in determining one's career direction. Yeah. So meeting people who are doing those types of roles and perhaps getting the value of their counsel.
2: Now, I think that's that's absolutely right. I think you have to un, you have to kind of uh, fine tune your understanding about yourself and then fine tune your understanding about different options. I suppose the one note of caution I would say about when you go and observe some uh, people is that people, if they love their work, they feel quite passionately about it and and they, they sort of want to sell it to you. And that's great, but that you also need to kind of step back and, and say that person loves their work, but is it actually going to be the right Uh, the the right niche for for me. But yes, I think the more observation, the more people you talk to, uh, the better.
1: Okay. Well, Dr. Elson, thank you very much for the time you've taken to speak with me today. I really appreciate your time and um, hope that the impact of COVID-19 lessens uh, significantly in the UK and that we all get through this together.
2: Thank you, Ben. It's really been a pleasure talking to you.
0: And it was a pleasure for MDA National to collaborate with Dr. Elton and Dr. Vaness on this resource. Special thanks to them both. A shorter video of this podcast is also available at mdanational.com.au. Doctors seeking support will find 24-hour phone assistance by visiting doctorsfordoctors.com.au. That's drs4drs.com.au. numeral four, and note that the content of this presentation is generic information only and doesn't account for health requirements of any particular individual nor does it account for particular facts relevant to any legal financial or workplace issue mba national members need to contact us for specific advice this podcast was published in july 2020 thank you for listening and for your work and efforts in the community best wishes for your health and well-being stay safe